share with you before we pray this morning. As the scripture we'll be looking at is in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. This is the words of Jesus. And he says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Now this is a different Lazarus than the one that we know was raised from the dead. Covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Some translations say Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. And he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Father, this morning, as we come into this place and we sing praises and we lift our voice to you, we sing hymns about how great you are, Father, how merciful you are, how much you love us, the fact that you sent your son to, to live on this earth for three years in, in a physical form, the man, Jesus, the man was also your son, God in the flesh, God incarnate, the Christ, our Messiah, who went to the cross. Lord, this morning I see these quilts, I see prayers that have been handed to me, people that have spoke to me in need of healing. Father Tina's son, I think of especially this morning. Others that names right now just kind of escape my mind, but I know that we are praying for them, and they are uh, on our prayer list that we pray for throughout the week. Father, I see Felisa. I see Andrew. Father, I have one in my pocket for healing from surgery. Bruce. Father, we lift up those names to you. We lift up our, our prayer list. We lift up the things that we are praying for, Father. And Lord, I especially this morning lift up this message to you. A message I don't believe that I've ever preached before. But you said the time is now. Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts, you prepare our minds to receive this message, to understand the urgency in it, 
can't understand the application within it. To understand the victory over it. When we know your Son as our Savior. When we understand to the best of our ability the power of God that is found in the Holy Spirit. Lord, just take us now. Use my words. Keep me on track, Father, I pray. Keep me speaking the word of truth. I will give you the glory and the honor and praise. We all will give you the glory and the honor and the praise this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. All God's children said, Amen and Amen. You may be seated. It's the fifth Sunday. We do not have junior church this morning, so the kids are with us in sanctuary. If you have child um, and they get unruly, welcome to the club. I got those kids too, but no, I was going to say, uh, we have some coloring books and stuff uh, out here, and uh, we'd be happy somebody would jump up and grab you. I want to share with you a quick disclaimer before I start this message this morning from last week's message. Um, as I preached last week, uh, I, had, I had no idea, nor did my family know, that this would come about, but I said during part of the a sermon that uh, I was preaching, I had mentioned the Apostle Paul, and then I said later on in the sermon that in my family, because I said that we don't always, you don't just automatically go to heaven, but in my family, one of the things we say on my mother's side is that uh, my grandpa, whose name was Paul, you know, I come, half my family comes, my mother's side comes from Arkansas. I'm really quite disappointed Melinda didn't know this, but because she comes from Arkansas as well. But the names for my grandparents were Granny and Pa. Now, I said, in our family, we often say when somebody passes away to comfort, be a comforting scripture, is that, oh, he, Pa loved to fish. Pa taught me how to fish. He said, we all, everybody always ends up going fishing up with Pa. And I said these words, I said, Pa's probably not fishing because... Um, I'm, and I'm not passing judgment. But to my knowledge, he did not know Christ. So when I said that, many people come to me and throughout the week I've heard that the Apostle Paul, I said the Apostle Paul was going to hell. I, the Apostle Paul is not going to hell, nor did go to hell, because I, Paul is one of the ones that uh, one of the, maybe the main character in the Bible that gives me hope because if Paul could get saved, I could get saved. So, um, but with that, uh, my wife, my uh, mother-in-law, and, and uh, my sister-in-law, oh, we knew you, what you. I guess we've been around you for 28 years or 27 years. So they knew I was talking about Paul and not Paul. But I do have the pleasure of saying... Because I was not a Christian when my grandfather passed away. I was still in my addictions. As a matter of fact, when I went back for his funeral, I was very addicted. Um, and my grandmother on my father's side, which was grand, Grandpa and Grandma Chick, um, I was very addicted when she passed away as well. Um, but and I guess I'm using this to kind of preface the message I'm about to give. I did get an opportunity to share Christ with my grandma, grandma Granny, in the hospital just before she died and she accepted Christ. And my grandfather, 
whom uh, I spent every day with growing up on the farm. Uh, by the time I got to his bedside, and I tell you this because it's, there's importance in this, everybody said he was incoherent. He was on his way out. I was there the second he died. Um, I got there in time to uh, hold his hand. I whispered in his ear. I was a fairly young pastor at this time. I whispered in his ear. I said, uh, Gramps, did you make peace with God? And now everybody said he was already gone, but he squeezed my hand. So there is always hope. Always hope until that last breath is taken. This morning, and I speak about a difficult subject today, I speak about hell. C.S. Lewis wrote this after listening to a young preacher on the subject of God's judgment at sin. Listen to a young preacher preach his message. The young man said, if you do not receive Christ as your Savior, you will suffer grave eschatological Eschatology, I can't even say the word, eschatological ramifications. There's not much fear of me getting in trouble with that word because I can't say it. But after the service, Lewis asked him the question, which eschatology is the study of end times, what happens afterwards? After the service, C.S. Lewis asked him the question, did you mean that a person who doesn't believe in Christ will go to hell? Precisely was the young man's response. Then say so, Lewis replied. This morning, and before I proceed into this message, and I, I got my opening marks, remarks written down, I want you to know that I am not trying to use the prospect of an eternity in hell. You'll see, we have a, I'm going to be preaching for the next seven weeks on what's at stake. We've been talking about small groups. We've been talking about growth. We've been talking about a lot of different things. But before I proceed... I wanted to get, I like to take the bad news first and then get the good news. It's sort of, so we're, we're taking some bad news this morning. There's good news at the end. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to use the prospect of an eternity as hell as the title of my sermon suggests to, uh, as a tactic to guilt anyone to become a born-again believer. That's not a good reason just to stay out of hell. is not a good reason to become a Christian. Or to startle anyone into hastily carrying gospel message into their family. Once again, it, it, it's a relevant reason, but not a good reason. Not one that's going to sell very well when you get to your family and say, the only reason I'm here is so you don't go to hell. That's not what we're going to talk about. Nor am I trying to make any suggestions to the eternal destination of anyone's friends or families. I say that probably my father, grandfather didn't go to heaven, and I make that decision I, 20, I don't make that decision. I make that uh, affirmation after uh, nearly 28 years of studying God's Word and knowing what it takes and what he is in this Word. But we never know. As I said, many people would have thought my Grandpa Chick was laying there not going, and he had made his peace, and I believe a lot of times that happens. But not everybody makes that peace at the end of time. In reality, the Holy Trinity and the person in question, the individual that is in question, are the only ones that are truly able to access the spiritual condition of their own soul 
and the certainty of their eternity. Only you and God know. As a pastor, I can make some pretty educated guesses and lead you down a path if I see somebody. And don't think that I just think everybody's going to heaven. That's a, that's, I'm giving you this message this morning because we can't just rest on the fact that everybody goes to heaven because everybody does not go to heaven. The reason that I believe the Holy Spirit has laid this message upon my heart this morning boils down to the fact that a few things. Number one, I see Scripture being distorted in ways that are just horrific to the ones that know the true story of Scripture, the true meaning of Scripture in our world today. Oftentimes, it's the church which distorts God's Scripture. Many times it's the church. We see that in how uh, uh, we've accepted some of the gender stuff, how we've accepted, there's even uh, uh, people, when you look in the political realm and you see people on TV talking about their faith. Now, I don't really know if they have faith or, or some of those politicians, the only, you know how you can tell when a politician is lying, right? When they're talking. The, um, so... The, uh, I'm sure that's a blanket statement that's not always true, but the politicians in their political realm, they use, I think we're in a very low state in politics uh, because they're using God's word to justify some of their behavior and why you should vote for them and why you shouldn't vote for someone else. That's a very dangerous place they're in. As a church, we step aside. I've, I've read books and I've heard about books. I told you, I think last week, about uh, Francis Chan writing a book called Erasing Hell, in which he, he's not erasing hell, but he deals with the subject of how churches do remove the prospect of going to hell, having an eternal uh, uh, destiny, uh, because much of it, Rob Bell wrote a, a book here, I believe he lived in Grand Rapids, that love wins. I've never read that book, but I've read some summaries, where how can a loving God send anybody to hell? I say this often, God doesn't send people to hell. We're given a choice. What we need, and why I believe we're in this position this morning, is this is a very scriptural and theological issue that we choose not to deal with often in church, in life. We tend not to think about or accept or deal with this impending truism realistically because it's not a very good subject matter. It often doesn't make for good conversation. It doesn't make for something that we ever want to have to discuss. It places a heavy burden upon us. The thought that someone could go to hell. The thought that we have a responsibility to people to share with them the love of Christ. To deny the existence of hell and the possibility of spending an eternity completely separated. And I think this, and this is one, this is not in my notes on your paper, but this is one thing that I believe will be part of it, or that will be one of the most difficult things, is spending life completely separated from God and entirely void of any hope in the present or future. And to deny the reality of hell truly weakens the validity of Scripture and God's claim to salvation. 
If there's no hell, why would we bother getting saved? If we could live any way we want and not worry about our eternal destination, why bother coming to church? Why bother studying the Word? Why bother reading uh, the Word? Praying. Going out of our way to, to risk maybe embarrassment or rejection to share the gospel message. If we remove the consequences, why bother? And that's what we've done in large part in this nation. It's removed the consequences. To deny a literal hell, I hear people say this as well. Some people believe this, that we are living in a hell on earth the way that it is. I got news for you. When you study, this is not hell. When you study a little bit about end times and the rapture and the prospect of being left behind, that might be a living hell. In those years after the Holy Spirit is taking off, taken from this earth and re- the church, those who are born again, go to heaven and the lawless one, is lo- the devil is allowed to have full reign on this earth, it will be pretty lawless. It will be pretty hellish. I have my own, some of my own family members say, well, I'll know when that happens. And then I'll, I'll just make it in that second time. That is not a good plan. The rejection of a literal hell, in some ways, have rejected the holiness of God and His power to redeem those who love Him from their wages of sin. We know that the wages of sin are death. And you say, well, how can it lessen or, or, or essentially rob God of His holiness? Well, the reason we have heaven and hell is because God created it in this matter. But he is, he is a holy and a just God. He is a loving God. When I say these things, but it's a perfect love, and he's holy. Holiness, without having what he has deemed as unworthy and unholy, it kind of makes it hard to have that distinction between the unholy and the holy. God separates himself so far away from the gates of hell, from the power of of the devil, that when we begin to take that away from him in, in society as we do, then living in a holiness lifestyle doesn't seem quite as important as it used to seem. Well, if there's no consequences, once again, why bother trying to be a better person? Why bother trying to live by the precepts that are in this book? Why bother taking on, you know, if someone hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Give away what you can to, to, to the... Uh, um, you know, if they ask for your cloak, give them your tunic also. If they ask you to go one mile, go two. Why bother with those things if there isn't... A, a, a side, yes, maybe some of you just want to be good people and nice people. That's a wonderful thing. But why bother? That's what society thinks. The reason I'm preaching this message is not because you guys don't know, but because they don't know. And many times we are unwilling to share this outside Life is a very fragile thing. And I'm going to tell you a story. I think it'll be okay if I tell it. Pastor Dave and I have been ministering to a, a, a guy, a friend of his from the Central Nazarene and his son this week. Gary and Ryan. Ryan is the son, 36, 38 years old. Ryan got in a motorcycle accident about roughly four years ago, almost five years ago now. Messy's back up severely. It's been an enormous pain. Got put on opiates. 
Four years later, after the opiates run out to manage his pain, this is a guy, by no reason, he, he wasn't unruly, as far as I know. From what I, He lived a, a pretty good life. His dad is a Christian, family Christian, but he got out there, got hooked. After the um, opiates run out, he got hooked on heroin. Within four years, he's destroyed his entire life. Absolutely destroyed it. The good news is he went to a treatment center for six months. Spent two months in Salvation Army after I'd been clean off heroin for eight months. Wait. We're trying to help him find a job, a car, and a place to stay. And I say this often. We have to be on guard. He got a job. He got a car. We were working towards a place to stay. He got that car and he got some freedom. And the devil was there. The kid overdosed and is laying in the hospital with less than a 50% chance to live. All inside of five days this week. Which brings me to my first point. To deny the existence of hell effectively camouflages the deadly work of Satan and his army of demons. To deny the existence of hell camouflages, effectively camouflages the work. Satan's not out there with, you know, I'm here. He's not wearing the red suit and the tail and the, the pitchfork and all of those things. He's not trying to be picked out of a crowd for being the devil. He, he, it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-9, through nine, it says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So when you get where we're talking about it, put your cares upon God. And it goes right on, Peter says this, Be alert. Give your cares to God, but be alert and of a sober mind. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you've ever watched a National Geographic show or if you've ever watched uh, an animal of prey walk around, they don't announce they're coming. They're very stealthy. And a lion, if you watch them, they, you, they, they usually don't see, I think they get within about 30 yards of their prey before they take off and bound in for the kill. Most of the time, it's some unexpected uh, vegetarian animal. Most of the time, I say vegetarian. I don't know why I said that, but they're vegetarians. They eat grass, but the, they they're not carnal back. They're they're like sheep, so to speak, if you would. Wolves, when they take sheep, they don't announce they're coming. They sneak in on the fringes, and they take away sheep. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. You see. Ryan thought things were going well, and things were going well. And I say this often. I get scared the minute people get, get clean, and the first time they get that first taste of freedom, because that can be overwhelming for some people. That seems kind of crazy to some of us, but there's some of us in here that also understand that very well. What looked like a good thing, car, job, house, turned into being probably the end of this kid's life. That car did not look like the devil prowling around like a roaring lion. 
And really, the car wasn't. The head and the heart were not prepared. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said this, Think lightly of hell, and you will think lightly of the cross. Let that sink in for a minute. Think lightly of hell, and you will think lightly of the cross. Think little of the suffering of lost souls, and you will soon think little of the Savior who delivers you from them. Think lightly of hell, and you will think lightly of the cross. going on we all have our own truth nowadays in this nation the problem is we don't have our own truth we have one truth we will all stand to this truth and be judged by it to deny number two to deny the existence of hell downplays the destructive power of sin Sin has a tendency to fascinate, and I actually heard, I will, I'm not quoting him, but Jensen Franklin I also listen to, he says sin has the ability to fascinate then assassinate, to thrill and then kill. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever thought you would pay. To deny hell... If there's no consequences, why worry about sin? Why not open the door? Why don't we casually open the door and allow some things that used to not be sin in the name of progress or that used to be sin to not so much be sin nowadays? We have to catch up. We're behind the time. Some of, and I remember having a pastor, and I've said this before, having a pastor tell me, as another pastor, that holiness was an old-fashioned word that we shouldn't use anymore. Holiness, God says in Peter, He says, uh, be ye holy for, the, for also as I am holy. That's Pastor Tony's translation, but it's very close to that. Be ye holy for I am holy. This is God saying that. He calls us out of the world, not to be like the world, but to be separate from the world. Is it okay? Yes, it's fine to wear jeans with your tie nowadays. We're not talking about those kind of things. Is it okay to listen to, to music that are not hymns nowadays that are Christian? It's okay to do that. Is it okay to come uh, in many different shapes and sizes and forms and come into the church and be that way? And that's fine. That's not what we're talking about. But it's never okay to live like the devil and claim to be saved by God. I don't know why we would want to do that. I know we all have sin. I have sin. We all need forgiveness. We all need grace. That's beyond question in this building. But when we go out there, I'll tell you another quick story. In my first church in Flushing, I was taking a task when I told the board the requirements that there was to be on the board. This was an entire family that come after me. It's a, it ends good, so don't worry about it. I had an individual who smoked and drank on my board that I didn't know about until I made this statement. I said, that, you know, on this board, official board in the church, you are seen as leaders in this church. You need to be, I'm not telling you you need to be, you know, none of us are sinless. We sometimes think that. We need to be on our faces praying. We need to be in a good space with God. We need to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. 
I said these things, and it, 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 it was a firestorm for a while. And I, I you know, because this, I'll tell you what, one of the most helpful women in my church at that time. And it gets better. She, they come after me. Their, their grandson, who was also in my church, was a little guy, maybe five or six when we got there. Every week he would come up and read my scripture before I would preach. He said God had called him to be a preacher. He preached to kids in the sandbox at school. That's a lot better than I did in the sandbox. <laughs> not that. The, uh, I don't know what you guys were thinking. I'm not some cat. But the, uh, I'm thinking about being rough in the sandbox, not anything else. But he, he did that. This was the grandson of this lady. And the family, everybody in the family had meetings with everyone. There, there were, I think, four different sections of that family, sons and daughters, and they come to me. And finally, they said, Pastor, and I did learn something, and I learned something every day. But I said to them, because the one family, of the mom and the dad of these three little kids, uh, Gabe was the boy's name, come to me, and, and I said, they come to my office, and, and we were going back and forth, and they said, well, this seems a little extreme. And I said, they said, you know, I said, what would you think if you come in to Applebee's and see me sitting at the bar with a tall boy and a burger? We all shake our heads saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, Pat. Oh, we wouldn't have a problem with that. It's okay if you have a drink once in a while. I've been around pastors that don't think there's any, not necessarily in the free messengers, but different ones. Have guys tell me, oh, our pastor comes down and smokes cigars and, and drinks shots with us at the bar. That's craziness. So I go that, oh, we wouldn't have a problem. I said, well, let me tell you why I would have a problem with that. Because I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Because I know that, and I've had to sit through things with my son when he would get in trouble. I've sat through uh, the crash course, or whatever it's called. And I've seen teenagers laying underneath cars, only their eyes blotted out. I've seen um, all kinds of unspeakable things. I have dealt with more suicides and overdoses than most preachers will in, in a lifetime. I've already did 16, 15 or 16 of very tragic funerals. I, at this point, I had not done those yet, but I did several. And I said, this is why, because I, if that kid, if your son, because you do have addiction in your family lineage around you, your brothers have struggled with this stuff. And I said, if Gabe was to see me in there, and it, when he turned 16 or 18 or 21, and he said, somebody offers him a beer or a joint because he's seen pastor do it, and it's okay, and he becomes an alcoholic because pastor did it and it was okay, I have to live with those responsibilities. And I said, as my board, you support the things I preach in here and the things that we teach. We settled that situation after we talked about that. Sue stepped off my board, but she was the greatest helper in that church. When I would have a funeral dinner, I would call her. She could be in Florida on vacation, and I would not have to worry a thing. I'd say, Sue, we'll be there 3.30 on Tuesday. Uh, I got it, Pastor. How many people are going to be there? She'd have it set up. I was with her family all the time. Several times since I've been back here. They have called me to their house to baptize their children in the pond out behind their house. I've baptized just about everybody in that family. 
One of the greatest things, when my youngest brother hung himself as a result of the end of his addictions, and we did that funeral up there. Now remember, I was there five years, three as their lead pastor. They handed me a blank check and said, write it for however much you need to cover this funeral and just give us the number that you wrote it for. Don't ever let the devil back you down from standing up for what you believe. Because God will take care of you. The great thing, I guess, I didn't even have to use that check because the church had already taken care of the entire funeral. But that family still calls me when they have problems because they know where I stood and stand. Number three, I have to hurry. To deny the existence of hell renders the word of God as only partially true. To deny that existence, to deny, to say that, if you look at the scripture, now I, I didn't have room to put all of these scriptures in here, but this scripture, and I'm gonna, I gotta move along here. This scripture is the one in Matthew 25 that deals with the sheep and the goats. God, Jesus specifically preaches that he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, that the sheep will enter into the rest. This is, this is a, a, a telling scripture, because this is the scripture where Jesus talks about if you've done this unto the least of me of these, then you've done this unto me. This is how he's determining whether you're a sheep or a goat. He's looking at your love for him and your passion for the lost and your love for the lost as a prerequisite to whether or not you truly have the love of Christ in your heart. Do you have the passion for Christ? Because many of us wander through this life with very little passion for the things of Jesus. We make our way through life. We go through the motions often when we should have a passion that burns with inside of us. I know it's a little different when you're called and you're anointed as a pastor. We eat, sleep, this stuff kills preachers. This would be, this is, and I say this with all the love and without a joke, and this would be what kills Pastor Dave, is his love for Jesus. That's why he's had two heart attacks. That's why I have to watch him when Melinda's not with him, that he doesn't overdo and get too tired. As I said, I don't want to be responsible for killing him. So the, uh, uh, but he's here, and he will serve God until the last day. In the last breath. It says, then I will say after he has separated these, I'm, I'm going through this, then I will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was going to speak about the, 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 what hell was like, but I wanted to, God moved me over into this after I began to study. Like, you can read about hell, you can find books, you can, you can see that, you, can, you, you just imagine burning in a, a, a torment and, and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. We try to lessen this sometimes, uh, uh, how bad this is really going to be, but when you read what Jesus wrote about this, this is not a good spot, a good space to find yourself in. The idea that we can go through life and not serve Jesus, not care about the things he cares about. You can't be, I'll say that you can't be a Christian and not love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. You cannot do that. You cannot be indifferent. You can't sit down and dissect and pull apart this scripture and cherry pick so it fits what you need it to fit. 
You've got to take it lock, stock, and barrel. You've got to read around it in the context of it. To deny the existence, number four, of hell eliminates the need of the cross. Think about that statement for a moment. Think about what Jesus did, what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. Think about what we celebrate coming up soon in Christmas. The arrival of the humble little baby in a manger. That's a beautiful scene, but really what God sent His Son for was to die upon a cross. That baby would grow up. His life wasn't fun and games, especially the last three years of it. I see people looking. they got to go to work. I haven't made anybody mad yet that I know of that walk out. So, But we think about those things, and it's this wonderful thing from our side of the street when we see these things. But really, God sent His Son as an infant, humble, lowly, in need of people to care for Him so that He could in turn care for them on the cross. If there's not hell, why would we need to go to the cross? It eliminates the cross. It eliminates the work of the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? To die for our sins. To redeem us from eternal judgment. In John 14, 6, we just studied a couple weeks ago, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to get to heaven. I don't care what they tell you out here. I don't care what pastors tell you, what anybody tells you. If it doesn't come out of here, and it doesn't stand behind chapter 14 of John, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That is Jesus speaking. Nobody gets to heaven without going through the cross. And if we remove the cross, like many people want to tell me, I got told when I got down here, the first thing I would do, Pastor, is take the steeple off of that church because it looks too churchy. Well, guess what? It is a church. I'm not trying to disguise that. That steeple is a beacon that's lit up that says, all you were heavy laden and burdened, come on to me. Not on to me, on to him, on to the cross. I watch churches take them out. We don't want to upset people with the cross. Well, guess what? They'll be upset when they've never seen or heard about the cross and they stand at the judgment throne and nobody has told them that they need to believe upon Jesus' blood and sacrifice for the redemption of their sins, for the redemption of their soul to get them into heaven. We don't need to hide this stuff. We need to carry our cross like the Word says. Well, that might be embarrassing. That's okay. Being a little bit embarrassed here is a lot better than being in hell on fire. Or allowing anybody else that we know and love to be in hell. We can't get to hell unless we go across the cross. That's the bridge between that reconciles us back to God. To deny, number five, the existence of hell relegates Jesus to merely being a really good man, but not the Savior of the world. Now, I'm not trying to be picky here, but I hear Jesus, and Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. But oftentimes, we flippantly call God the big guy upstairs or these things that we have. We, we, and, and sometimes we say that out of, I can think of a, personal, a person in my personal history that does that, who it, 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 once I say again, by my knowledge of what the Word says, 
needs to know him much more than just the big guy upstairs. Needs to know him as a personal savior. Needs to understand the holiness of his name. Needs to understand that when when this when the rapture takes place, when we get into the, the, the new heaven and the new earth, and we talk about this in Revelation, that, that the twenty-four elders, the, the four living creatures, all of these people, when, when God begins to speak or stands up, they fall on their faces and they worship. Angels, he's got angels around him. Non-stop, holy, holy, holy. And we can't take him. Now, he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And I believe what we're doing at the club is Jesus coming to the people. I believe the way that, that we minister in here is Jesus being palatable and coming to people. But when we point them to the Father, we point them to heaven, and we put in contrast hell and heaven, then we need to understand that Jesus, God incarnate, God the Father, is so powerful that he has... He has defeated death. He has defeated the grave, hell, death, and the grave. He is holy. He is perfect. Jesus asked Peter in Luke 9, he says, who do you, the crowd, say I am? Think about that in context of the day. Worship team, you can begin to come forward. I'm just about done. I'll take responsibility for this right now. You might be a couple minutes late. But you don't want to leave here today unless you're right on this topic. Not my favorite sermon to preach, so if I've got to stay here a little while and preach it, then you need to stay a little while and listen. Jesus was praying in public, and his disciples who were with him asked him, who do the crowds, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? Think about that in context of today. If you were to walk out the door... Say, and you watch, all I watch is Fox News. I watch a little bit of the other stuff to find out what lies they're telling today, and then I move back to Fox News. But, the, uh, but say today you walk out Waters World, and he goes out and he asks, I don't know if you guys have seen Waters World, he goes out and asks people questions. I would like to see him go out and ask the world, especially some of our younger generation, who do you think Jesus was? Or is? What kind of answers do you think you would receive out there? What kind of an education are we portraying about Jesus from the church out into the world? Peter answers, or they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. And then this is what's important. Jesus, this is in red letters, he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? I believe Jesus is answering, Peter answered, he said, God's Messiah. The one, he said, the Messiah, the one that was sent to save us. The one that would overturn the world. Didn't look like they thought it was going to look in those days. I say this often, they thought he would ride in on a white stallion and conquer the Roman government and set up the rule and reign of the Jewish nation. Become humble allowed himself to die upon a cross. He wasn't thinking about this world so much as the next. When he comes back, and this is another thing you need to know, when, you, when he comes back in the rapture, when he comes back in the second coming where he actually sets his foot on this world, he's not going to be the meek and mild baby in Jesus that allowed people to slaughter him. If you don't know the Jesus in Revelation, you don't understand what's at stake and the power 
He has. You do not want to be on the wrong side of that battle. And nor do you want anyone else to be. Six. The denial of the existence of hell psychologically diminishes the glory and reward of heaven. Think about that for a second. The denial of hell psychologically eliminates or diminishes the glory and reward of heaven. Now I said psychologically so you understand there's nothing that diminishes God and His glory and the splendor of heaven. The Apostle Paul said the human mind cannot even comprehend the half of what God has prepared for us. But just like in my family, when somebody passes away and we're going up, all oh, we're going up to fish with Paul, Granny and Paul, not Paul, Gra- Paul, we're going up to fish with Paul. There's so, we, when we get through the gates of heaven, fishing is going to be the last thing on our mind. When we see Jesus, we, I, I like the song, I can only imagine. Will I fall on my face? Will I, will I run in? Will I hug him? Will I shake his hand? Will I even be able to speak at all? I don't think we'll be able to speak at all. I think we will stand there with our mouth hanging open and think, that's what we'll do. And I don't know how long it's going to take for that to set in, that we've made it into heaven. No more sickness. No more cancer. The quilting ministry, God bless their hearts, will be out of business because we won't have to pray for people. They can rest finally after 12 or I don't know how many we're going to get out of them while we're still here on earth. But we won't need to pray for cancer because there won't be any cancer. We won't need to pray for heart disease, surgeries. We won't have children being aborted. We won't need to sign bills in the back of a church saying that, which seems just ludicrous to me, that we have to, to sign a bill that says if a baby's born alive, that we shouldn't kill it. But tell me, again, if we haven't taken hell out of the mainstream of society... Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. and There was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious, those who are victorious will inherit all of this. I will be their God and they will be my children. Now listen. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Sounds to me like Jesus is talking about hell to the very end of the Word. He's warning us. And I say that 
so that we understand in John 3.16, probably the most well-known passage of Scripture, says that God, for God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son so that none would perish, but all would have eternal life. Jesus warns us time and time again, just like in, I didn't take time to explain my foundational passage, but Abraham's bosom was a, a foreshadowing of heaven and earth, heaven and hell, before Jesus had actually come back and established uh, heaven and, and ascended back. So people, when he ascended, those that died in the Old Testament, those that died before he ascended, who died in faith, when it says he left the captives out of captivity, he took those people to heaven with him, into the heaven that is now prepared, being prepared for us. But there was a chasm. It was called Hades in that particular thing. Or uh, Guiana is another place to name for it. Where they, that's a place where they would burn trash outside of the city. The, he, he, he said, and there's no way. Abraham, or, or, or Lazarus, begged. Just tip, touch the tip of my tongue with water. There was no way out. Go and warn my family. Go and warn my five brothers. He said they didn't listen before. They're not going to listen now. Last thing. And I made this last on purpose. Well, because God showed me. But to deny the existence of hell falsely places mankind in charge of his own destiny. Think about that for a second. To deny the existence of hell falsely places Mankind in charge of his own destiny. Second Timothy says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. When I see great patience and careful instruction, that doesn't say to me that we just are doing this fly-by-night around here. Nor should we be fly-by-night about our study about our prayer life, about the things that Jesus is doing, the Holy Spirit is doing within us. We shouldn't take this lightly. When we show up to church on Sunday morning, we should, we should live this out throughout the week. But when we show up, we should show up for a purpose. To get a word, to praise God. The Lord, it says in the Bible, it says that the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. We don't just saunder in here every week to, to ask everybody, how's, how's your week going? How was work? Did you see anything while you were hunting this week? How's your car run? Those are all pertinent things in life. Maybe when we walk in the door, we should say, what's God showing you this week? What have you read in this Word this week? How can I pray for you, those of us that have been around a while and know how to pray for people? For the time will come, listen, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. That time is here. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Let's all stand this morning. This is a difficult message this morning.
we live in a nation, and I say this often, and I've been saying this lately because I believe it, we are in a post-Christian society in this nation. To a great extent, it's because of that very last scripture I read. People are not putting up with sound doctrine. They're gathering together teachers that tell them what they want to hear. Nobody wants to hear about hell. Hell's not a fun subject. But hell's the truth of the matter. It's one of two places, people. There's no purgatory. There's no waiting room. There's no getting prayed in after you're gone. You can't say enough hell berries and I... Pardon me if you're Catholic. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying you can't say enough things or pray people in or give enough money. You can't do these things to get in after you're gone. The minute you suck that last breath of air in your lungs and your heart stops, your mind quits. Not quick. You're in your eternal destination. I will say this to you because people also want to teach you that hell is not really, a, it's just separation from God. Maybe the lake of fire and all of that stuff is exaggerated. Jesus says it, I believe it. He just said it. I will tell you this, I have been on fire. My hands and face, when I got blown up 25 years ago, my wife can tell you it's horrific to see. And I was only on fire for a split second. I could not imagine dealing with that. Sometimes I think maybe God let that happen so I would knew, know the reality. He was gracious unto me because I was supposed to need grafting and all of that stuff to get my face right. And not to have any scars. And the only scar I have is on my lip, which is very non-existent. He was gracious unto me. But I can tell you, I've been on fire and there's no place you want to be. I seen my little grandson's hands get burnt touching his toe. I knew the pain because I'd been on fire that he had in his hands when he was a little kid as he fell against the hot stove. I can tell you, knowing that pain and knowing what's being in the middle of my grandson's life, I don't know how we could look at another and imagine them living in eternal torment for the rest of their life. If you've ever listened to anything I've said in all the time I've been up here preaching, take this serious. Don't just walk out into this world and forget the words I've said. You may, I preach a long time, yes I know that, sometimes longer than others. But go out of this thing with these words in mind and I'll quit. Hell is a very real thing. And if we die, or anybody around us leaves this earth without knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, what is at stake is an eternity in hell. 
Next week, we're going to talk about eternity in heaven. It'll be the good news. Today's the startling. Let God deal with you in your hearts and minds. Before you leave, if you haven't, please come up and say a prayer and tie a knot. We are blessed to have. I thought as I was sitting over here thinking about we're not anxiously awaiting when we don't need our Mending Hearts ministry. We love them to death. They, they, they do so much work and they send out so many prayers out of this place. But we are awaiting the time when we won't need prayer for those certain things anymore. But now we still do, and these people need your prayers. And today, part of my worry sometimes is that when you preach a message like this, what moves in our mind often is the fact that, well, we don't want to go to hell. I don't know anybody that honestly wants to go to hell. I know very, very few people that faced with that challenge at the end of their life chose to not find faith in Christ. Very few. But let me tell you, for us in here, for those out there, simply not going to hell is not a good enough excuse to get saved. We want to get saved because we love Jesus. Because we want His love within us. Many times we do get, we, we get saved and, and that's up between you and God because I struggle with that. But maybe we do get saved just for the simple fact we don't want to go to hell. That, and, and that's nobody wants to go to hell. But that's what often causes us to, to punch our ticket, so to speak, and then sit in the pews for decades and never do anything with what God's doing. But when we realize that we don't have to go to hell, and I keep pointing here to the altar because in, since I've been doing this, this is where we get right with God at the altar. You can do it anywhere you want. But this is a good spot in a public place come down and make a declaration of faith in Jesus. When you get saved and the love of Christ is in your heart and that's what moves you to get saved, that's the passion that will get people in your circle of friends and life and family. One thing, and I, I, I'll pray one thing I often hear, and I'm sorry I picked on the Catholics, I've got to go make my apologies, Bob. The, uh, but this is what, and I say this because they say this to me. At one of the things, and it's not just the Catholics, it's all of us, Baptists, Methodists, all of But one thing I hear at the club often that turns people away from church is they've been told for years, why, you know, you're just a sinner, you're never going to, because you've got problems, issues in your life, you're going to go to hell. We come to church, and the good news is, is that you don't have to go to hell. Yes, you've got problems. We're all screwed up. Every one of us is screwed up in some way, shape, or form. Some of us are more screwed up than others. Some people are really screwed up, like me. And they find God, and God straightens you out. But it's not just, you, you, you don't have to go to hell. God sent His only begotten Son so that none should perish but all should have everlasting life. 
Let's pray. Father, this morning, I got to quit. I could talk about your love and your grace and your mercy and the things that you do in a life surrendered to you until you do come back. And that's what I hope I get to do or until you call me home. But today, Father, if there's anyone in this place that would say, Pastor, I, I, I don't know for sure. Let them not leave this building without the assurance of the forgiveness of their sins and the indwelling love and peace of Jesus. If you're new, or you, maybe you say, Pastor, I knew it once before, but I, I've slid away from what I believed. I've, I've walked away. I've got these issues. I'm not sure. It's a simple prayer. But it's not the words. It's not the simplicity. It's, not, it's the, the, the desire of your heart in the prayer. If you need to pray that prayer, namely recommit yourself and for the first time receive Jesus, just pray these words with me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I've fallen short. Maybe I've slid away from my faith that I had once. I just ask for your forgiveness of my sins. I ask that your love would once again reign supreme in my heart or maybe for the first time take over my heart and I will repent I will turn away from the things I've been doing the way I've been living I will follow you to the best of my ability from this day forward if you prayed that prayer I believe you're a born again Christian you need to tell somebody I don't ever make you put your hand up I make you tell someone else because it's got to be real to you. Don't just throw your hand up because the pastor says to do it. But make it real in your heart. Love Jesus. Let that feeling come and settle in. Father, today as we go from this place, I pray that this message continues to work in our hearts and minds. I pray, Father, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, when we walk in, to our workplace or we walk into our household or we walk into our friends or into the growth wherever it is and we see that friend or that neighbor or that we're not sure we're not being judgmental but we have a passion for the lost let us just walk over and love them hug them maybe and tell them we've been praying for you we love you if you need anything just give me a call word tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, heart soul and mind to love our neighbor and ourselves. Jesus is the greatest commandment. Father help us to carry that out this week. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. You're dismissed.